It says this, don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourself instead with the beauty that comes from within the unfaded beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. And this is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They put their trust in God and accepted the authority of their husbands. And for instance, Sarah obeyed her husband, Abraham, and called him her master. And you are, my, you are daughters when you do what is right without fear of what your husbands might do. And in the same way, husbands must give honor to their wives and treat your wife with understanding as you live with together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. And finally, all of you should be of one mind, sympathize with each other, love each other as brothers and sisters, be tenderhearted, and keep a humble attitude. Glad to have uh, my wife here with me. This is the first part of this series that she's, she said, I'm afraid to listen to it online. I might get mad. <laughs> I wasn't supposed to tell that part, was I? It's out there. It's, it's, it's out there, okay? And so uh, at some point, you know, at some point, but glad that she's able to, she's teaching these kids and helping with the back and, and doing so many things back here. And we, we, would you give all of our teachers a big hand? We just appreciate them. They, they serve tirelessly, and they're doing an amazing job, and uh, we love them and love their, their ministry, and it's, it is so vital to our church. Whenever I was a teenager, uh, I was probably 16 years old, I had a nightmare. How many of you guys ever had a nightmare before? How many of you guys had, ever had a dream that made such an impression on you, you will never forget it? James, I had a dream like that when I was 16 years old. And in my dream, I was a married man. <laughs> and I absolutely hated it. I had no joy. I had no freedom. I, didn't, I don't know who I was married to. <laughs> that was not revealed in the dream. But I was married, and I was so happy the next morning when I come out of this nightmare, and I was still a single 16-year-old boy. But three years later, I'd already known this lady for a while. I'd known her for five years. When I was 19 years old, I was so head over heels in love with a girl named Debbie Metcher that I asked her to be my wife. And I remember the day that we got married was the beginning of the happiest. You know, at first I wrote this. Sometimes you, we write sermons and we edit them later, okay? And I put, that was the happiest day of my life. I changed it, okay? That was the beginning of the happiest days of my life. And uh, I, I always say, and I'm going to mention something else a little bit later in this, in this message, that probably... Aside from my walk in relationship with God, and, and I'm very, I am serious about this, the thing that I'm more proud of than anything in my whole life is my marriage, our marriage, and our family. 
It is the greatest source of pride. And a lot of people are looking for great accomplishments. They're looking for some uh, way that they can leave their mark on history. But I recognize the value of marriage and the value of home. And so the first thing I want to talk to you about is this, that we've got to grow. If we're going to grow in our, in our marriage, we've got to grow in our love by growing in God. When we first get married, it is very difficult for two people to come together in one household. Can I get a witness from anyone that's been a young married couple? It's very difficult. We're coming together as a young couple. We come from two very different backgrounds. We come from parents who more than likely have got different opinions and they've got different philosophies about everything under the sun. And so we've got two young people and they're coming together in this marriage. Uh, several years ago, uh, people used to say this, and they said the most difficult part of marriage is the first year the seventh year, the 17th year, you know, and I used to say, yeah, that's, that's good, that's true. Okay, but what happens in year 27 and 37 and 47 and 57 and 67? Listen, they're all tough, okay? They're all difficult, but it's extremely difficult when a young couple comes together and they, they first, their first marriage, they come from different backgrounds. They've got different personalities. They've got different expectations, and they've got... Uh, they, they come from homes that have different ideas and philosophies about everything under the sun. It could be about politics, and it could be about how to spend money, and what's the most important way to uh, uh, budget, and all kinds of things. Or, and we're trying to navigate our way as a young married couple. We're trying to find the best way. We're trying to navigate. And so this first year of marriage is all about learning. It's, it's about learning how to communicate. It's about learning how to navigate. It's about learning how to become a, an adult, if you will. And it's about taking our place and taking our position. And it's about uh, working it out. And I've, I've often said before that some, as couples, we got to learn to work it out. We've got to learn to hash it out. We've got to, there's going to be tough conversations. There's going to be conflicts. There's going to be disagreements. But you know what? In the process, we're learning to work it out. And it is good. In that first year of marriage, we're learning about money and budgeting and family and our in-laws and our friends. And we're learning about love and romance and conflicts and, and resolution. And we're trying to keep the flames burning, if you will. But as time passes, the struggle is transitional. When we move past year one to year seven or 17 or 27 or whatever the case may be, the, the struggle is transitional because in the beginning, it's kind of predictable. Okay, there's, we're trying to figure it out. We're trying to learn about money and stuff and this and that and trying to get along with our... It took me, I, it took me 15 years for my father-in-law to warm up to me. Okay, and after year 15... Then my father-in-law thought, thought I could walk on the water. <laughs> but it took me 15 years to get there, okay? 
And so as, but, but as, as time passes, the struggle is transitional because here's what happens in year 7 and 17 and 19 and 21. Enemies begin to come into our marriage, and here's where they are. Their complacency, their boredom, okay? Do you get what I'm saying? There's all kinds of things. There's the familiarity. We just get, I'm just, we're just tired. We just get a little bit weary, and uh, we, we stop worrying about trying to please one another, and it's about, you know, trying to just please ourselves. The, as time passes, the struggle is transitional, and so we've got to be careful that apathy doesn't take over in our marriage, and we get to this point in year 7 or 17 or 27 where we just don't even care anymore. And we're just going through the motions of marriage. We're just, what we do is we, we become glorified roommates, if you will, okay? We just, we're just trying, and, and in fact, some married couples even get to the point, I've talked to a lot of married couples, well, we sleep in separate bedrooms. We don't, but I've talked to couples all the time, well, we get, I've got my own room, she's got her own room because I don't like he snores, Okay. That's, that's, another, that's another part of the transitional struggle, okay? Quirks, okay? What we thought at one time was cute becomes a quirk, okay? We, you know, just like, like the, uh, Debbie told me the other morning, I woke up and she said, you know what? She said, man, I've tried, I kept hearing the baby crying. And I figured the baby, finally she said, I realized the baby wasn't here. She said, Bob, it was you breathing. Hmm. <laughs> Sound like a crying baby. <laughs> it's not good. Maybe we need to go for marriage counseling. I don't know. Okay. We've got to continue to grow in God so that our love for one another might grow. Growth is important throughout marriage. We cannot succeed and continue to be childish. We've got to get over our self-centeredness. We've got to get over our self, uh, selfishness, if you will. We can't throw temper tantrums. Temper tantrums. We, can't, we can't be a successful couple unless we learn to sit down and talk to one another. We can't be successful in our marriage unless we get to the point that we actually enjoy spending time together. And we learn to appreciate and we learn to value one another because as the time passes, the struggle becomes transitional. And complacency and boredom and apathy will try to attack you. And we've got to be uh, aware of this so we can fight it with everything that we've got. We've got to be joyful, Joyful in our home and come together in this process of building a marriage and building a home, whether we're in year one or seven or 17 or 27, because the struggle is transitional. There's, there, there will always be something trying to attack your, the devil's going to try to do whatever he can to attack your marriage. There's going to be a day that you wake up, the newness has gone, okay? The, the newness the novelty is, is no longer with you, and rather what we do is we're growing in God. We're recognizing what our, and this is point number two, we've got to grow in our God-given purpose. We have to realize this, that God, there's, there is a way, there is a fashion, 
There is a purpose that God has given for husbands, and God has given a purpose for wives, and we've got to grow in that God-given purpose. These verses in 1 Timothy, or excuse me, 1 Peter chapter 3, talk about the beauty of a person. Our society, anyone notice, our society puts a great value on beauty, okay? We post a picture on Facebook, and we got to put a filter on it. Okay, I see people that are 21 years old and they got to put a filter on their picture. <laughs> Give me a break. Give me a break, 21-year-old person, okay? Because your filter, you're a lot more beautiful than your filter, okay? I don't care if you're 41. You're a lot more beautiful than your filter, okay? But we put such a high premium, or if you're 61, or you're 81, or wherever you're at today, get rid of the filter, but society puts such an emphasis on the outward. I read a, I read a recent study, so, so I'm, I'm, I'm preparing for this message of saying, okay, how much does the average person in America spend on their outward appearance, okay? So first of all, it said the average woman in America spends $313 a month on their appearance. That's a lot of money. $313. So I began to think about it. How much does the average man spend? It's like 75 cents or something. He's got to buy a razor every once in a while. You know? I was, I was blown away when I read this. It said the average man, the average man is spending $244 a month on his appearance. Those guys don't live around this far country. <laughs> That's a joke, folks. But appearances can be very, very deceiving. Because in marriage, all the makeup finally comes off. And in marriage, the true character is revealed. And in marriage, the true intent of the heart is revealed. And 1 Peter chapter 3 teaches us to focus on the inward beauty, the inward beauty, and say, where does that come from? Well, it's a product of how you've been brought up. It's a product of your value system, the, the true inward beauty. It is a, it is a product of, of what you stand for. It is a product of what you believe in. It is a product, of, and, and it will come out in how you treat other people. But Peter tells us, he said, instead of being so focused on the outward, he said, listen, this, this text is not telling women or men to, to just uh, abandon their appearance, okay? I don't think you ought to look like you combed your hair with a firecracker, okay? You know, there's a lot of times, <laughs> I never watch my sermons online, but every once in a while, something will come up, and it's like, man, my hair's a wreck, you know? Man, I'm looking really bad today, okay? <laughs> and it's out there for everyone. It's out there for, for everyone to see, all right? But uh, 1 Peter chapter 3 teaches us to focus on the inward. It's not saying just abandon your appearance completely. No, that's not what it's telling us. But it's saying this. Instead of being so focused on the outward, we need to be just as focused and even more focused on the inward, because that is what matters. That is the thing that matters in our relationships, the 
What is on the inside? Because when the makeup comes off, what is on the inside will be revealed. The true value is in the hidden beauty. The, the true value is in our walk and our relationship with God. And Paul teaches us the impact of inward beauty. Paul even goes on in this portion of Scripture, and Paul said, listen, he said, the impact of your, of your inward beauty can be so great that your unbelieving spouse could possibly become a Christian because of your inward beauty. They'll see the difference in you. They will, they will see the love of God in you, and that in itself can change your heart. There's a difference in your life. There's a, there's a guy who uh, wrote, wrote a great book, the case, of, the case for Christ, and Lee Strobel was an atheist, but there was a nurse that witnessed to his wife, and his wife was an agnostic, and agnostic is, is one of these kind of people who just they just don't know. Okay, so a nurse, a Christian nurse, witnessed her, invited her to church. His wife became a Christian. She came home. She told him, she said, I'm a Christian. So Lee Strobel set off in a journey to disprove the Bible and to disprove the, the deity of Jesus Christ, the resurrection. And in his pursuit, he was a journalist. Uh, highly educated man, worked for the, the Chicago Trib Tribune, very intellectual man. He began a two-year pursuit to, de to deny and destroy his wife's faith. But you know what? He saw some evidence in the fact of the, the, the love. He saw the inward beauty in his wife. He saw the change that God had made in his life today. He, he saw that. He saw that change. And he began to investigate and, and come to the conclusion that there was so much evidence mounted up that, yes, there was a man by the name of Jesus Christ that lived, and, yes, he did raise from the grave on the third day, and he became a Christian. And today he's, he's written a book, The Case for Christ, and it's a tremendous. But, but Paul said this. Paul said, focus on the inward beauty because the inward beauty makes all the difference in the world and marriage is actually Paul goes on he talks about this marriage is a call to servanthood now that's not a very popular concept today because as human nature we want to be served I had a guy that told me one time he said I dream he was actually a pastor he said, I dream of being served. I, I, want, I, would, I would dream of, of, of just having people come and serve me. Not me. That just, that's not my bag, okay? But, but Jesus said that, that he that would be the greatest of all would be the servant of all. So marriage is a call to servanthood. We see it here in 1 Peter chapter 3. We're, we're serving. It's not a popular concept. But marriage is both husband and wife serving one another and serving in our God-given purpose. If your marriage is going to get past the, the honeymoon of year one, if it's going to get the diff, through the difficulty of year seven and 17 and 27 and on and on and on, we have got to work on our God-given purpose. We've got to grow our, grow our love in God by growing in God, by growing up and letting God do a tremendous work in our life. Today, if you're sitting in this auditorium or if you're watching online, if you are a single parent, 
You have got a God-given purpose to love and to teach and to guide your children. Your, 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 your role and your responsibility is great. I want to encourage you, if you're a single parent, to, to get up, continue to do a good job. You're doing a great job, and you've got a tremendous reward in heaven. i got a lady sitting right over here. My mother, a single parent, raised me and my two sisters, and I believe she's got a great reward in heaven that she just didn't quit and give up. But because of her, praise God, me and my sisters are all involved in ministry today because of her because of her. Our example, marriage is a call to servanthood. Our example is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ left the splendor and glory in heaven. Jesus left the riches and the wealth of heaven, and he came to earth. He took on flesh, and the Bible says this, he became a bond servant. He came to serve. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. He Know this, Jesus doesn't demand that we follow him. Jesus didn't make you a robot. You've got a free choice today of whether or not you're going to follow Jesus. You've got a free choice of whether or not you're going to live for Jesus. He loves us so much, he gives us that freedom of choice today. Jesus was a servant, and marriage is about servanthood. It's about loving one another. And if we forget our duty to serve our spouse, if we try to demand it that our spouse serve us, then we've missed God's assignment for our life. Servanthood is sacrificial love. Now we can read these verses in 1 Peter chapter 3, or we can read the verses found in Ephesians chapter 5, and it talks about submission. It talks about women submitting to the authority of their husband. And, man, that's really PC today. That's politically, politically incorrect, you know. And uh, But you got to get this. The authority found in 1 Peter chapter 3 is not the military sense of the word. The authority found in 1 Peter chapter 3, it doesn't mean a dictatorship. It means mutual submission. Mutual submission comes from the husband is submitting to the wife. Do you get it? The wife is submitting to the husband. The husband is serving his wife. The wife is serving her husband. It's about servanthood. It's about caring for one another. And as husbands, we have got a role today. And if we're going to grow in our marriage, if we're going to get past year 1, 7, 9, 10, on and on and on, 17, 27, 30, if we're going to grow in our marriage, we've got to grow in God. We've got to grow in our God-given purpose. And so husbands, you've got a God-given purpose to care for your wife, to care for her, care for your wife. Now, my wife told me, Debbie told me, when I asked her to marry me, she said, yeah, but we got a tradition in our family. Oh, no. You got to ask my dad. <laughs> guy already scared me. I got to ask that guy? Yeah, you got to ask my dad. Okay, I will. I'll ask him. So I remember standing in her family room. We're standing there. He walks in there. 
Somebody told him I had something I wanted to ask him about. I remember he walked in there. He said, what can I do for you, son? <laughs> I'd like to marry your daughter. Which one? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I'd like to marry Debbie, you know. Well, what are your intentions? And so, we, you know, we had that conversation. And, and I remember in the, in the scope of that conversation, he told me, he said, you can marry her, but he said, you got to promise me one thing. You're going to take care of her. you got to take care of her. So I stood there that day. I'm a 19-year-old boy, and I promised her dad that day I was going to take care of her. Okay? Now, as a 19-year-old boy, we have no concept of what a lifetime is. But I, prom I made him a promise. I made him a promise. And I stood there. And I said, yes, I promise to, to, care, to take care of your daughter, to care for your daughter. And I'll tell you, I've already told you that my marriage and my family, aside from anything to do with God, is my greatest accomplishment on this earth. And my father-in-law passed away, I don't know, seven or eight years ago, passed away. And I think about that, I think about standing with my father-in-law, toe-to-toe, 19-year-old boy, and stand there, ask him if I could marry his daughter, and I made that promise, I will care for your daughter. And that also is a great accomplishment, a, a proud accomplishment of mine, that I have not been unfaithful to his daughter. That's very important. In the day that you say, well, you know, we, we, I, I made a mistake one time, and I did this, and I did this. God, I, I don't care what, you, what you've done in the past, moving forward, Okay. Moving forward, God has saved, saved us out of things and lifestyle and mistakes. Moving forward, we're saying, listen, those old things are going away. I'm not going back here. I'm, I'm going to walk. I'm going to live in faithfulness. I'm going to live in my God-given purpose. Husbands, we have a God-given purpose to love our wife, to sacrifice for her, to listen to her. And I've got a problem listening sometimes. I'm not a very good listener. <laughs> you know why? Because it's my male nature that takes over. Because it's like, as soon as I hear the problem, I just want to solve it. It's like, okay, I got that one figured out. No, just shut up, Bob. I'm not finished telling you right yet. You know? And I will admit I have a problem with listening sometimes. But we need to be better listeners. I've got to be a better listener. Act and, and begin to Listen to the concerns of our wives and providing her with assurance and protecting her and being sensitive to her needs and to her hurts and to be the spiritual leader of my home. It's important that on, that on Sunday morning that we get up and say, you know what, family, kids, honey, we're going to church today. We're going to the house of God, you know. I'm leading my family. I'm guiding my family. I realize in a lot of homes, the wife seems to be the spiritual leader. And I, under, and I respect that. But husbands, I am challenging you to take your role as the spiritual leader of your household. And if we're going to make our marriage a masterpiece, we've got to grow in God We've got to grow in our love, and we've got to grow in our God-given purpose as a husband. 
and very quickly, wives, you have a God-given purpose in your marriage. And that person is to love and respect your husband. And that person to, is, is to, purpose is to acknowledge his calling as head of the family and to respond to his leadership and to listen to him and to praise him and to encourage him. In the book of Job, there's a, there's a story that we've all heard. Job, in one day, had ten children. All of his children were killed. In that same day, all of his servants ran off or were destroyed. All of his cattle was, was destroyed in one day. He lost everything in one day. And then the devil came back and said, hey, God, let me destroy his health, and then he'll curse you. So God said, okay, you can, you, can, you can take his health, but don't take his life. So the devil put sickness and disease on his body, and boils covered him. The scripture says, from head to foot, from head to foot. And his wife, he's, he's laying there in a bunch of ashes. He's scratching himself with a broken pot. His wife walked in there, and here's what his wife said to him. She said this, Job 2.9. His wife said to Job, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. In that state of misery, her purpose should have been to encourage and to live. Listen, I realize this. She had lost 10 children also. I realize this. She was hurting too. She had lost her wealth too. I understand that. But there are times, there are difficult times in marriage. There are times of loss and there are times of tragedy in marriage. Here's what we got to do as a couple. We got to support one another. We got to be with one another. We got we to embrace one another. Through the difficulty, through the storms of life. So wife, husband, you've got a God-given purpose. Ma'am, wife, you've got a God-given purpose to encourage, to be unified in purpose with your husband, to be a true helper and help me. Notice this. These things mirror our response and duty to Jesus Christ. And so this is God's will. I'll tell you what, I, I'm, I'm going to close. I'm going to close right there. I've got, I've got one final point, but I'm just going to close right there. That God has got a plan today for, for a home, for a life, for a marriage. Year one is very difficult. But if couples will come together and they'll get agreement, we can get past the struggles of year one. And, and I realize they're intense. They're very difficult. If we'll come together as a couple, and if we'll grow in God, as we grow in God, we'll grow in our love for one another. As we grow in those things, and we figure out what our God-given purpose is, husbands, to love your wife, to care for your wife, to watch over her, to keep her, protect her, this is our God-given duty today. And wives, to, to encourage your husband to listen to your husband, to help him as he leads and guides the family in all of these things. 
that, that God is going to be with us, whether we're in year one or seven or 17 or wherever we're at, that God is helping us to grow in our love by lifting our spouse up. Let me assure you this. Husbands and wives were created equal by God. Because 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 says this, this little portion says, She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of life. God teaches us, teaches us this. Marriage is about servanthood. Marriage is about sacrificial love. And I know these are not popular concepts in the world that we live in today, but if our marriage is going to survive, and who in the world wants to grow old, single and alone, getting your own way? Who, who in the world wants that? I don't. But I've got the companionship and the love, and I've got the support of my wife and our family very important. It's key today. A servant edifies and builds up their spouse. You see, as our love grows, we grow in God. As our marriage flourishes, we grow in our God-given purpose as husbands and wives. Because your spouse is the greatest gift that you ever had, or the greatest gift that you will ever have. Your spouse is the greatest gift that God has ever given to you. Someone says, man, I wish I had a million dollars. Listen, if you've got companionship, if you have a spouse, if you've got children that God has, you're a single parent and you've got children that God has put in your home, you're a wealthy individual. And let's embrace those around about us and realize they're blessings sent from God. And let's cherish the blessings of God in our life because God has put us together. And God is going to help us. No matter what is going on, no matter what is happening, no matter where we're at right now in our life, maybe we're going through a struggle in our marriage. Maybe there's complacency that's taken over in our marriage. Maybe apathy is taken over, familiarity. You're being attacked by all kinds of things or just wanting to quit, just wanting to give up because the struggle has been transitional and you're facing difficulty. It, this is no time to quit. But this is a time to press in and begin to love God. Begin to press in, begin to talk to God, begin to grow in God. And as we grow in God, we begin to grow up and God begins to teach us what needs to be fixed, and the Holy Spirit begins to deal with us about things that need to be changed in our attitude, in our mindset. And if that, as that begins to happen, the dynamic of our marriage begins to change, and we begin to love and respect one another. We begin to see what our purpose and our goal is. The greatest goal that you've got, the greatest purpose in life, is not to become the CEO of IBM. Okay, it's not to develop the next Facebook, okay, or the next Tesla car. That's not the that's not the greatest achievement in all of life. There's a lot of those people. They've done great things and they've died completely alone. But the greatest thing that we can be is a godly husband, a godly wife, a godly mother, 
a godly father. We're leading and equipping and preparing the next generation. One of these days, I'm checking out. I'm checking out. I'm leaving. I'm leaving planet Earth. But I'm confident that I'm leaving a legacy. Debbie and I are leaving a legacy behind us. And by the Brandon preached last week, I think everything's going to be all right. <laughs> it's all going to be all right, okay? I think Sundays we're over there building that church. We're working on that church. And it's like, man, can we, are we really going to have much time left to enjoy it? You know, well, that's okay. If I've got it, if God says it's time to check out, there's someone coming behind me, and everything's going to be all right. And the church is going to keep going forward. And the gospel is going to continue to be preached. And souls are going to continue to be saved. And lives are going to continue to be transformed by the power of God. God's going to do it. God's going to do it. He's going to use you. He's going to use your marriage. He's going to use your family. He's going to use your children. So don't be weary in well-doing. Do not become, don't quit. Don't give up. But keep pressing on and let God do, do something great in your life. Let God do something great in, my, in your life. I got so many other things I could say, but I got to stop. Let's close with prayer. Dear God, today, we just thank you, Lord, that you care for us, that you love us, that you've called us by name, that you've got a plan for our marriage, for our home, for our family for our children. You've got a plan for single parents. You've got a plan, dear God, for every person in your church. You care for us. You love us, God. Help us, I pray, that no matter what we're facing, no matter what we're going through, God, help us to put our hope and to put our trust in you and to call upon your name to grow in you, to grow up in you, to mature in you, to find our place, to find our purpose. First of all, if we're a husband or wife, to find our purpose. If we're a single parent, to fulfill that purpose. If we're a son or a daughter, to fulfill that purpose. But help us, God, in all these things, growing, learning, becoming, in your name, in your power. Amen today. Amen. Would you stand with me today for just a few minutes? Just draw a circle around yourself this morning. Come on. Just draw a circle around yourself. And I want you